Hello and welcome to this episode of Tasme Time Talks in Medical Education. I'm Dr. Katie Stevenson, a GP trainee and podcast co-lead for Tasme. In this episode, we pick up the topic of decolonizing medical education. Tonight, we welcome a new podcast co-host and pre-production lead, Dr. Oliver Mercer, an internal medicine trainee from London. Ollie and I had the pleasure of spending an hour with Dr. Yvonne Mbaki, an associate professor in medical physiology at the University of Nottingham, and Lara Akinowonu, a final year medical student at the University of Cardiff. We discussed the inequalities which exist within medicine and medical education, how to diversify the medical education curricula, and the process of decolonization of medical education. This episode was recorded in October 2022 in support of Black History Month. Yvonne shares some of her work around the development of a toolbox to enable educators and learners to work together to decolonize and diversify the medical curriculum. This work earned an impact award from the clinical teacher in 2021. We hear from Lara and her commitment to anti-racist practice, including the formation of student staff racial equality working groups, both within her institution and in her role as co-chair of the BMA's Medical Student Committee. In today's episode, we introduce a new feature, our Innovation in Medical Education segment. A five-minute interview with someone who has added to the chosen field of discussion in an innovating and exciting manner. Today, we meet Nick Miller, a medical student from the University of Nottingham who has co-authored the guide, So You Want to Decolonise Your Medical School. We know some of today's topics may be challenging and we have included a list of organisations who can offer support in the description at the end of the episode. So make a cup of tea and join us for this episode where we will explore how we can work together to make medical education more equal, more diverse, more inclusive and with the aim to decolonise the curricula. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode on decolonization in medical education. So tonight we have um, a new co-host so if you'd like to introduce yourself Ollie that would be great. Yep uh, hi everyone my name's um, Oliver Mercer I'm uh, new to the TASME podcast team and um, bit of background about me I um, am an IMT so an internal medicine trainee or the new core medical trainee in um, southeast London um, previously worked in education fellow roles and sort of general interest in medical education um, yeah and I'm really excited to be co-hosting this episode and thank you very much, Ollie. And we have two um, fabulous guests here this evening um, who we are really excited to hear from. Um, our first guest is Dr. Yvonne Mbaki and her pronouns are she, her. She is an associate professor in medical physiology in the School of Life Sciences at the University University of Nottingham, having gained a BSc Ons in Biomedical Sciences from the University of Bradford and an MSc in Neuroscience and a PhD in Urology Pharmacology from University College London. Yvonne is also a Senior Fellow of the Higher Education Academy. As a teaching-focused academic, Yvonne teaches medical physiology across the degree programmes of Life Sciences, Medicine and Pharmacy. 
Yvonne has a diverse range of educational interests, including embedding inclusivity in teaching, where she has shared insights about diversifying the curricular content, including the publication of a toolbox that received an impact award from the clinical teacher in in 2021. And we're also joined by Lara Akinawonu, who is a final year medical student with a BSc in population medicine. Lara is passionate about student involvement in decolonizing and diversifying the medical curriculum. She supported the formation of the student staff racial equality working group at Cardiff Medical School and presented their progress at DMEC and the Anti-Racist Practice in Medical Education Conference. In her role as co-chair of the BMA's Medical Student Committee, she works alongside key stakeholders to encourage dialogue um, between students and staff informing racial equality working groups across various medical schools in the UK and shares examples of best practice. Lara is passionate about widening access to medical education for BAME students and those from low socioeconomic backgrounds and continues to advocate for change in her position as a trustee for African Caribbean Medical Mentors team. She believes in compassionate and proactive leadership and has demonstrated this in her roles as a team leader for street doctors and as co-chair for the BMA Medical Students Committee. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for joining us both. Um, We really appreciate your time and knowledge and passion um, for this evening's episode on decolonisation within the medical curriculum. First of all, um, I would love, I know we would both love to hear a little bit more um, from the both of you on your journeys um, within medical education and your journeys um, and interest in equality, diversity and inclusion and decolonization if possible. Um, So my interest initially started as, you know, being a medical student and and as an observer, and wanting to see change in my curriculum. Um, during the Black Lives Matter movement, um, our medical school sort of put out, you know, statements about the change that they wanted to see and had signed up to the racial harassment charter. Um, and so myself and a group of other students wanted to be more proactive in taking those commitments to, to action and actually bringing forth change within the curriculum. So we set up the student staff um, working group which looked at three key areas within the curriculum, um, mainly looking at obstetrics and gynaecology um, and psychiatry, for example. And we looked at how could we, um, first of all, increase dialogue between students and medical educators and also then um, diversify the curriculum. So looking at including um, um, students, looking at including, um, for example, pictures from of people from different skin different skin colours, looking at how mental health presents in ethnic minority communities and also the experiences of um, women from ethnic minority backgrounds as well. Um, in my role as co-chair for the Medical Students Committee, um, we've taken a lot of the policies that were passed by medical students who wanted to see change in their curriculum and have opened up dialogue with medical medical academics committee um, and also medical schools council on how students can get involved in enacting curriculum change um, and we've looked at producing guidance on this issue which takes into account how students can enact change so first of all how to approach having those discussions with academics because it can be um, quite daunting and quite emotionally draining and then how do you then move to having a sustainable 
um, working group that actually has sort of actions in place um, and fostering a, a, a working relationship that doesn't distract or take students away from, you know, their main focus, which is to get a medical degree. Um, so that's sort of my background in, in medical education. Um, also, I like talking a lot, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> Talking a lot um, and asking a lot of questions, so that's what put me in the right spaces too. Laura, I think I think we're all in awe of how much you have achieved in in a relatively short period of time. That this is some really incredible work. And just to repeat for our listeners, um, Laura is a student. She's in her final year of university, so she's doing all of this alongside her. Um, her studies so that's absolutely incredible I'm really interested in hearing a bit more in a moment um Yvonne um do you mind sharing a bit more about your journey and um feel free to respond to what Lara said obviously as well yeah in all honesty a lot of my work has come from inspiration from students so you know students like Lara but in in the context of uni of Nottingham so they've initiated a lot of dialogue with us as as staff uh, but for me personally, um, I don't know whether you're familiar with the awarding gap. Um, and essentially, the awarding gap, um, they sort of this, it used to be known as attainment gap, but more, more, more recently, awarding gap is a favored terminology whereby there is this gap between our black students or ethnic minority students and white students achieving a good degree. So that's a two, one, or a first. So that came on across my radar back in 20, uh, 2016. And it really disheartened me in terms of just knowing that there is this disparity in terms of achievement of our students. Uh, so following that, um, we did a bit of research uh, in our faculty and got this data. Uh, and, and this is still ongoing, actually, even up until now. Uh, but in tandem with that, um, a couple of students approached um, one of my colleagues, and these were our ethnic minority students, and they just said they they didn't feel like they belonged as part of the community. And to me, again, that, that, that sort of really resonated with me because, you know, it's, it's quite sad to hear our students articulate this to us. Uh, so a lot has been building up from these experiences, you know, similar to what Lara said uh, in Nottingham Uni, we also signed up to the BMA Charter and we actually, we actually had started working on that. So in terms of this BME charter, it's to um, support medical schools in terms of preventing and addressing racial harassment. So there's a lot that's been happening. Um, but I think what came to the forefront for me personally was um, the George Floyd murder back in 2020. And you know we got lots of open letters from our students uh, across the board. They wrote to our students' union and so forth. And in my mind, I thought, you know, I felt like I really had to do something to help with this. And although we were working on stuff, I think this propagated a lot of our efforts uh, to the forefront. And that's when I, I suppose, you know, on reflection with myself and two other colleagues, we thought, OK, students want their curriculum to be more inclusive. They want us to decolonize the curriculum. And it's interesting using the word decolonizing. I'd be interested to hear what you, you, you think about that word because there's a lot of you know talk about that. Um, but in essence, we thought we'd produce this guide whereby um, we'd support colleagues in their efforts on making the curriculum more inclusive. So for me, it's been building up for some time in terms of lots of different things happening. But it certainly came to the forefront um, in, in 2020. 
And I guess the rest is history in terms of where I find myself in this space. Amazing. Thank you so much, um, both of you, for those introductions. Um, I think that brings us sort of really nicely onto sort of talking about this this topic more widely as I think from the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 and the sort of the murder of George Floyd as you mentioned that that decolonizing medical education sort of became a bit more to the forefront why I firstly why do you think it's taken us such a long time to sort of get to this point as medical educators or as the sort of medical education community have started to address these issues that we're seeing within our curriculum, within our institutions? Yes. Yeah, so, so I think for me, um, I think that the whole sort of situation with Black Lives Matter and subsequently, you know, COVID, the health inequalities, that's exposed a lot in terms of the, the issues we have. Um, but for me, what I think has has driven the narrative the most is um, the empowerment people have felt. And, and you know, in, in this case, the students have just blatantly told us you need to sort, you know, the curriculum out. You need to make it more inclusive. We feel under equipped when we go out to practice because, you know, we're, we're the way we're teaching them perhaps is not preparing them appropriately. Um, so I think personally, the empowerment of our students and staff, for that matter, to, to articulate the issues and then work towards resolving it has has been what has helped because you know I've done a bit of research and the whole conversation of decolonization has been ongoing you know South Africa have led a lot of that conversation uh, in terms of the context they approach decolonizing but I think for us and within the context of medicine um, it's for me personally I feel it's that empowerment that students have felt to come to us as, as staff members as academics and say we feel that you know we're, we're falling short in terms of inclusion, diversity, diversity, equity, and so forth. Yeah, and just to pick up of what you said about empowerment, I think that's a really, really key point: is that students felt empowered to take um, to talk to their institutions about this and have these uncomfortable conversations about what decolonization means, and which is why I stress the difference between like decolonization and diversifying the curriculum. Because, you know, decolonization is looking at the impact of colonialism, you know, racism on how the curriculum is today. And also looking at how um, this has caused like oppression um, of certain groups of individuals um, versus diversifying, which can often be seen as sort of tokenism. Um, and just to give an example in, in medicine, someone's race is only mentioned because it leads towards a certain sort of pathology like that, that wasn't enough for students and I think um, the Black Lives Matter movement really empowered students to not accept performative statements as you know the end of the conversation um, and also to be part of the change and drive into the change um, yeah that's great I think I think um, Laura you've touched on a really important point there about that difference between decolonization work and also sort of diversity diversifying sort of education curricula and I wondered if um Yvonne if there was from a sort of an academic point of view what the sort of some of those key differences are yeah it's it's an interesting point and, and I, I I reflect on my experience with some colleagues where they actually they don't like the word decolonizing um so I'd be interested to know uh Lara what your thoughts are um, but from from my perspective, I think 
sort of decolonizing is a broader remit and then you have diversifying feeding into that that's the way i look at it and also you know that's something that came up when we were trying to publish our paper uh, the toolbox and we actually had to revisit our title because we had gone for the whole broader decolonizing but actually what we were describing was diversifying which is feeding into that decolonization effort um so it's a bit more nuanced and yeah i, I i'm still getting my head around the definition more so because I think the way I see decolonization will be very different to say say someone else will perceive it. So I think just positionality is a word that sort of comes to mind when I think about the definition as well. You know, I, I view the world, you know, I've been brought up in the UK. Granted, I was born in Kenya, uh, so I have that in my formative years. But the way I view the world is a very Western Eurocentric perception of the world. And so my definition of decolonization is likely to be different to say someone who's brought up in, in you, you know, the global majority uh, for that matter. So it's a bit more nuanced and a bit more complex. And I'm yet to find a definition that works for me in that context. Um, yeah. I think you mentioned at the beginning, Yvonne, what our sort of understanding and what our definitions of decolonization where and I think you've sort of reflected on that and shared that with us in a in a really useful way and it is it's it's a word that will differ obviously across different cultures and um, social contexts and I think um possibly for, for me and within the UK centric sort of um culture um it and within medical education specifically to me um medicine traditionally obviously has been pale, male, stale, um, and we have this very white Eurocentric um, sort of middle upper class sort of cultural context that medicine is set within and medical education has reflected that for many years. And obviously, as you mentioned, um, the horrific murder of George Floyd um, pushed maybe the Black Lives Matter movement um, more within a UK context, because obviously it's been ongoing for many years within the US and um, shone a light on our institutions and um, our students have definitely been um, at the front of that and pushing us, questioning us. Um, I say us because I did work as an academic as well. I don't know at the moment. Um, and something that I've felt quite viscerally throughout this is actually that is a lot of work on students, particularly students who may be from ethnic minorities or the global majority, however we want to however people feel that best to define that and actually that is a lot on people and um I know that Lara mentioned a little bit about um <laughs> her own work um on how how to minimize that emotional impact and and I don't know about everybody here but I think that's something that is really really important and I don't know how how do we get that balance to shift it seems like you're doing lots of good work still but that's still very student-led how does that balance shift from students to institutions and how do we um go go from the top down rather than getting the students from the bottom up to do all the all the hard work that's a really really um good question um and when I was having a discussion with um the co-chair, my previous co-chair, Khadija, and we had this idea about sort of grassroots action with students um, and which should it be grassroots or should it be top-down? And the idea was that both meet in the middle. So you've got both the top-down and bottom-up um, approaches. 
working together, which is why dialogue is so important and understanding that these conversations can be emotionally draining for students, particularly from ethnic minority backgrounds and ensuring that, you know, that their well-being and welfare is, is preserved and kept and that any work that they do get involved in, that they are credited um, appropriately um, and also are rewarded in some capacity for contributing to, um, to, to medical research in, in any way or co- contributing in producing like a, a toolkit or um, an educational resource. And that can be met by the top-down approach, essentially with you know, leadership, support, providing opportunities, um, and also leading in research. Um, the bit, the, the idea is that sometimes these conversations can be like emotionally draining, which is why it's important that you know we provide that well-being support um, for our for our students. Um, and yeah, it should really be sort of like the top-down meeting, the bottom-up approach, and it just being sort of a collaborative form of working. And I, I totally agree, Lara, because that's the route we're sort of taking, that co-creation, right? So we don't want to leave it to the, the students to do all the work. So so actually, for me personally, I think it's more informative <laughs> doing that co-creation or co- the collaborative effort, I think it's quite important between staff and students. So definitely a, an advocate or a champion for that sort of approach. Amazing. And there's it. there sounds like there's some really good work going on within this field and the sort of the toolkit that you published that you mentioned earlier Yvonne and the work that you would have been doing sort of individual institutions so you mentioned that diversifying the curriculum is part of the wider sort of decolonization umbrella what are some of the other aspects that um, as educators learners curriculum developers we need to think about under that what are the other elements that we need to think about in that in the context well, for me personally, and I, I pick myself personally because, you know, uh, there's the whole concept of intersectionality. So I always think with students, when you go out into the practice, you're not, you're, you're not going to meet someone who's sort of homogenized. Is, is that word? I can't, I can't pronounce it. It's too late in the evening. But, you know, the, 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 the individual will intersect other sort of characteristics. And I think it's important to acknowledge that uh, in, in the context. Um, so, so. In terms of other avenues to explore, it, that diversifying, I think, also incorporate intersectionality because the experience of myself as a, and I'll pick myself as a black female, actually an ethnic minority black female, and some of my colleagues who are white females, my, our experiences are very different. You know, someone who comes from a different, um, uh, you know, in, within the LGBTQ plus community, um, religion, there, there's so many things to consider. So intersectionality, I think, should feature as well because that will will impact upon the experiences of individuals. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just to, <clears throat> to add to that, we need to change the way we look at, um, like, the patient. So, you know, NHS, we've moved towards, like, patient-centred care and instead of thinking because of X, Y, Z, this is, why, this is how they're going to present, thinking about because of you know how they present how it how is that going to impact the way they they go through the system and how um how how is that how is sort of the institutional racism or um the system going to reinforce certain cultural stereotypes that is actually going to lead to worse or poorer experiences of healthcare for the individual so 
Um, I think that's I think that's what students want to see. They want to experience healthcare where they're able to provide patient-centered care. They're able to sort of analyze their own unconscious biases or the biases of the system that they find themselves working within in order to provide the best outcomes for their patients. Absolutely. Um, from for, from both of those perspectives, in terms of um, having accurate representation of intersectionality um, throughout medical curricula and informing how our students and future healthcare professionals go on to practice and work in a patient-centered, um, unbiased or consciously um, sort of unbiasing themselves sort of manner. I think um, I have I sort of the the way that I've approached my sort of career thus far is that I feel very strongly that as healthcare professionals um, we should accurately represent the patients we serve so that they have the best possible journey um, throughout healthcare and that starts from way before medical school and it starts within our sort of a sort of culture and upbringing and um social context so I think there's there's a lot of really excellent work happening but actually the the sort of issues we discuss are way beyond this context as well obviously which I hope we've sort of touched on um I think Lara you mentioned at the beginning as part of your sort of introduction and you've mentioned again now in term um some of the things that you have been involved with some of the practical sort of processes and I, I think some of our listeners would be really interested in hearing about some of those um those things that you did as part of the curricula um to change um the way that medical schools think about delivering education especially because we're a medical education podcast I think that will be really interesting so you touched on some topics including obstetrics and gynecology um psychiatry dermatology I think Yvonne has also um touched on some of those subjects as well as part of the toolkit and I think we'd be really interested to learn more about some of those practical things that you've been involved with. Yeah so um, what we did is because obviously the medical curriculum is massive um, and we wanted to make sure that any change that we did do was was focused and that we could track um, and audit whatever change that we did implement. So we split ourselves into three different work streams so dermatology, psychiatry, and obstetrics. Um, and with obstet- within obstetrics and gynecology, we looked at a specific e-module which focused on the experiences of um, ethnic minority, um, particularly black women in um, obstetrics and their um, poorer outcomes. And we produced this module um, and then looked at how it was impacting student learning. So we've then looked at how many how many we looked at the metrics of how many students have gone through it how quickly they've gone through it and then also evaluated um their 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 learning at the end of it and then from that we were able to get real-term data on essentially was this a useful way to tackle or to address this specific learning objective um and then similar things were done within you know the other work streams and then we were able to then change um, and adapt going forward. So, um, in a more practical sense, it's using you know frameworks that we already know. So, like if you're going to do an audit, you know you, you do the PDSA cycle. Um, so, similar frameworks and just approaching it still with a sort of evidence based with your evidence based medicine hat on to make sure that you're able to to track any change. 
that's being um, implemented. So um, I would say with regards to being practical, thinking strategically about what is it, what issues specifically that you're trying to address and how are we going to then track that, that change moving forward. Um, and then coming back to like the working group holistically and having a, um, a strategic vision and just simple things like having a terms of reference. Um, how often are you going to meet? Who's going to be on, on this group? You know, simple things like that that can sometimes get overlooked or in, are important in having a sustainable group that will continue to run after even after I graduate and as students move through the system and can engage um, or sometimes like you know take back and disengage when they're focused on exams with is really important and shouldn't be overstated when setting up such working groups. There's so sounds like so much um a follow up of that what what some of the feedback that you've got from sort of um students that have taken that module that have been through that sort of learning experience uh, what they taken away from it um i think the feedback is largely positive um it's largely sort of um oh i didn't really you know know this before um sometimes it can be seen as long sometimes it's not been done but that's all positive feedback that we can take and and use to adapt um to adapt the e-module so um, overall, like feedback is, is very positive, and I think moving forward, it's about how do we then further ingrain this into the curriculum, so it's not just um, a tick box tick box exercise, but it's actually something that um, students look for or look for those sort of learning experiences whilst they're on placement as well, and then they can marry up what they experience um, in in the wards and in, whilst they're on placement with what they're then seeing and reading um, on an e-module. And I guess that's where the next steps for, for change are. Yeah, I suppose it's really important to ensure that it's across all aspects, whether it's the sort of the learning materials, the sort of learning events, whether that's placement workshops, that kind of thing, or these modules, but also assessment and how we um, generally assess our learners, but also um, ensure that they are assessed on elements of this curriculum. Yvonne, I was wondering, is your background in physiology and medical physiology, how I think it's easy to imagine how we apply this to sort of the more clinical aspects of of medical medical education and undergraduate sort of um, medical education curriculum. Is there elements of decolonization and diversification that we can introduce to sort of the preclinical aspects, though the they're not basic, but the in quotes basic science elements of medicine that we that we need to learn as clinicians I think that the, the things that spat into mind and I guess this is more pharmacology so I, I I sort of span across physiology pharmacology so so for example um when we teach our students we always refer to a 70 kilogram adult male you know as as the typical I think we need to move away for the, from that uh, other examples that come to mind EGFR uh, there's a lot of conversations happening around EGFR and whether that sort of actually disadvantages or or, or is less accurate uh, as, as, as a calculation, you know, ACE inhibitors. So the reason I'm raising all these, because I know um, certainly 
previously, myself included, I'll just have made a passing statement about calculating EGFR or the use of ACE. Is it ACE inhibitors? Where, yeah, <laughs> um, I've not taught cardiovascular in a while, you know, so you make passing statements about the use, but not necessarily explaining why that is or why that why that is the case. And so I think that's sort of the direction we're, we're taking in terms of trying to understand and get the students to appreciate that we shouldn't be making these assumptions. So even if you're told EGFR is a calculation you should be using to calculate renal function, but why is ethnicity one of the sort of um, parameters required with the ACE inhibitors? So so that's the, the, the direction we're taking, which I guess is, as you say, it's, it's, it's not as straightforward as, but we can still decolonize science. It is, it is a bit more, we do require a bit more context and research but we are we are sort of heading towards that direction uh, in terms of in terms of the preclinical science elements i th and I, I i think like obviously um history and the history of um evidence based medicine um plays a huge role in our understanding of the basic sciences and actually um most a lot of that in information is indeed factually incorrect or it's been based upon um, a small subset of the population which is absolutely inaccurate of what our population looks like today and in many many examples that I've seen in your toolkit but I've also read about elsewhere there was a lot of unethical practices um, and unethical research performed on um, global majority um, people throughout history which is obviously gone on to um which hasn't been necessarily acknowledged within medical education and I think actually from a pre-clinical perspective there is a lot that we can add to curricula not only from a basic sciences perspective but from a sociological humanities perspective as well and I think um, quite a lot of education can come from those disciplines to inform our students in a more um holistic informed way essentially more sort of academically informed way which will hopefully influence their understanding of modern medicine and their future practices and indeed with patients um and their interactions with patients um honestly i'm just absolutely in uh, just in awe of the, all of the work that you're both doing alongside all of your usual work it's uh, it's a, it's really really impressive um you've you you've like I mentioned there you've been doing the work but actually how how can um people who are perhaps um other academics or um doctors that haven't been involved with um diversification of their work or decolonization of their work what, what can they be doing um to to improve this um current landscape and make it more equitable and that's that's a question to both of you uh, so, so I think for me and perhaps that's what has led me to sort of the the, the, the toolbox we produced uh, because I appreciate that some colleagues perceive this to be a barrier in terms of approaching the whole decolonization and diversifying because they don't know how to begin um, so so that's uh, in terms of bringing so we have early adopters right in this context and so I think it's how we bring the rest of the people in. And that's where we have like this, this, this toolbox we produced. What we've recently done in the faculty, and that sort of spanned across the uni now, is we also produced a, 
another toolkit, but this is an internal toolkit. Um, and within that, we produced um, a ch a three checklists that were a bit more explicit in terms of the guidance um, that, that colleagues could utilize in terms of their approach. And that was covering areas of the learning environment, the actual teaching material, the assessment and everything. So I think for me, I, I want to bring everyone together and perhaps that's my approach is, is different in the sense that providing supportive resources having these conversations, hopefully the students are also articulating to the lecturers as well. So as a combined effort, hopefully then that will lead to everyone coming along the journey together with, with us. Yeah. So I'm more supportive in terms of my approach. Yvonne, I, I love that, like bringing everyone on that journey together. And I think that's so important in terms of like encouraging fellow staff members and, and trying trying to not make it seem like a scary topic or something that's for some people that they might not feel like it's necessary or that it's too big or trying to break down that but those barriers and understanding which in certain circumstances can be really really difficult so um it's it's appreciated definitely La Lara what are your thoughts on 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 that um I think I like the idea of bringing everyone together because sometimes it's left on, you know, the minority students to talk, shout about EDI. But I think, you know, um, allyship is really important in this space. And we really appreciate, you know, when it comes to, like, for example, EDI days at medical schools or EDI activities that they're not just tick box and that students actually engage and, you know, put their effort in and, and attend these sessions and have those frank, open, un uncomfortable conversations, you know, with their peers. Um and I mentioned active bystanding, like bystanding as, as being really important in this because looking at whatever aspect of um, research or education that you're in, how can I make this um, more inclusive? Um, where where is there space to to um, to include more um, EDI aspects within this? So in that respect, you're thinking a bit more holistically about EDI, not just as a separate tick box thing. It's very specialist and niche for a certain group of people, but actually something that impacts me and has um, an impact on the work that I do going forward. So my advice, particularly to students, is to engage um, and, and to support, you know, the EDI activities that are going on, on at their medical school. I, I particularly like that you mentioned... Um, active bystander training and I think that is very we've we've spoken a lot about undergraduate um curriculum um but actually I think that is an area that there's there's loads that can be discussed about postgraduate curricula as well and postgraduate training but actually that's an area that that's one particular thing that could be um added to all areas of postgraduate training as well and I've been fortunate enough to be able to um, attend sessions on that as well and I think that's something that's very transferable and actually lots of the things that we've discussed today are also transferable to postgraduate education as well sorry Ollie I interrupted you you go ahead no I was just uh, you were both mentioning about the sort of amazing work that you've done and obviously the publications that are being made such as a toolkit to to share share work and experience of of this area is there any joined up work that you're aware of between institutions from the medical school council i know the bma is publishing guidance on sort of some best practice but uh 
as a nationwide issue, as an international issue, is there is there is there any work being done together? I've got to admit that we've mainly been focusing, you know, <laughs> locally. But that's not to say I think the next step now, because we need to learn from each other, right? And it's, it's best if we sort of share practice across. So I think that's where, you know, our next steps is, is to identify what others are doing across across the board. Uh, so for, for me personally, within the context I've been working with, it's mainly been sort of local lo- local context. Yeah, I'm not sure whether, Lara, you have been involved in is- initiatives nationally. Not yet, not yet, but um, I am available for any initiative. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you actually available? You seem to be doing everything. <laughs> Catch a break. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? There's always, there's definitely room for lots more research, scholarship um, and best practice within this area. But as it, it's being done by the people who are on the ground, working as academics, working as clinicians, students, and many of you and um don't, and us don't have have the time it's driven by passion and emotion like you've mentioned already um it sounds like there's some really useful work going on though within within the BMA that you're um spearheading Lara and um actually if you did want to share a little bit more about that work just now that would be really helpful for us all to understand and for our listeners to know about as well if if you're happy to yeah so um it's still sort of ongoing work so what we're looking to do is create guidance with um, medical academics on how students and staff can form working groups, um, looking at all, all aspects of the curriculum. So not just looking at um, you know race, but also um, how can students work to make sure that there's you know increased talking about sustainability, um, LGBTQ um, plus um, representation in the curriculum as well. So it's the focus is more on how can students and staff work collaboratively um, in a way that's sustainable, um, which then you know bleeds out into decolonization and other aspects that students want to see um, change and movement forward within their curriculum. Um, so we're in the process of writing. Well, most of it's written. It just needs to be evaluated and um, finalized. Um, on the BMA side of things. And then the other thing that we're also looking at is the Wake Harassment Charter. It was launched initially in 2019. And what our um, EDI committee are, are working on is collecting best practice from universities, firstly from the point of view of the actual you know, clinical academics, but then from the point of view of students, admiring that all together to sort of share back best practice on how um, the actions from the charter have been implemented on, on a more local level. Um, so those are the, the work streams that are um, ongoing now and will continue to carry on even after um, I leave as co-chair. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a very exciting era that we've moved from having those initial discussions in 2019, actually being in a, in a place where some action has been done and then these conversations and sharing best practice is actually going to lead to some um, sustainable change in the future. So when so when you said you you weren't working on any national projects that that wasn't true you're doing something huge and amazing um yeah again um I 
yeah, just absolutely astounding. I don't know whether um, you have anything you wanted to add to to that, Ollie or Yvonne. No, that's very impressive, Lara. I'll, I'll definitely bear your name in mind. <laughs> I'll hold you to that offer. <laughs> I think it just um, illustrates how wide this conversation is. It's about the curriculum, but it's also about how how are students and particularly students from ethnic minority backgrounds supported within medical schools and wider institutions. But I think that I think that journey is um or that conversation is both definitely important within undergraduate but also postgraduate, the experience of trainees and qualified healthcare professionals within the NHS as an organization and sort of wider society. And they're all elements that are being worked on separately and are joining up but there's just so much going on in this area which is exciting but also uh well i I, it seems like there's a lot still to change but as well as well as all the exciting work that's happening i suppose it brings us to a sort of nice conclusion or um starting to, to bring this conversation to a close of like what if you had a magic wand or a a golden ticket that you could pass on to one of our listeners about what is something that they could change or what's the biggest change you would like to see next um, within the sort of decolonizing medical education field what would it be I don't have a magic wand I'm more of a realist or pragmatist <laughs> um, so, so so my my thing is that I, I my aspiration or my my wish is that um, we have the culture, and I think it will take time, that's why I'm going from the realistic perspective, um, so that we all have a culture, cultural shift together. And, you know, it means that it becomes the norm when, when, you're, when you're having these conversations and thinking about when I'm writing my, my, my lectures or whatever, you know, I, I don't have to be prompted or prodded to be more inclusive, you know, it becomes a norm in my work, working practice. So m- mine is more of a wish as opposed to, you know, a magic wand. I'd like that to be that cultural shift and, you know, um, down the line, it's, it's, it's embedded in everyone's mind that, you know, you need to be a bit more inclusive in terms of um, the experiences of our students. I think that's a very um, sensible and it's a, it's a, really great aspiration for us all to have of that's where we work towards as a community of practice of sort of being able to embed this just in our day-to-day lives and professionally and personally yeah and I couldn't agree more I think the, the cultural shift is what will take them like the longest time um so I think you're very much a, a realist to say that that's something that will take um a lot of time um I guess if I had a magic wand I would say I'd want to see um like more routes for particularly and more support particularly for students from minority ethnic backgrounds into academia um in the first place um more formalized you know mentorship and support and I know it, it you know it is out there but just to see that um, more amplified and you know 10 years from now the face of academia moves away from you know, stale male I can't remember what stale male white male well, that's currently what it is now to um to be more representation um representative of the populations that they serve if i can just add to that i think we are living currently in a through very difficult times we have lived 
um, we are, the UK is not a particularly progressive or culturally safe environment at all times. And I think that the media um, churns out a lot of sort of, sort of more central right sort of rhetoric. And I think as, as healthcare professionals, as academics, we have a duty to um, speak up and empower those people that are not heard from and whose voices are pushed down. Um, and I think the thing that I, I, I would, I have taken away from this conversation is that as somebody who is not a member, um, who is not from the global majority, I'm not an ethnic minority, I have a responsibility to continue to not only learn and rely on the voices of others, but to continue to actually make things happen and actually be involved in action and change. And I think if there is a magic wand, which doesn't exist, um, for me, that would be getting people to reflect critically on their education um, as they would do with evidence in any other way um, and on where that education has come from and on the voices that they listen to and the media that they consume. And it goes much wider than what we teach and learn within a medical school. I hope that makes sense. It sounds a bit ranty, but um, I'm I'm really passionate about that. And that's for all areas of um, sort of medicine and medical education. Um, I I just wanted to finish up by sort of asking, I don't know whether anybody else has any questions or anything they want to share. Um, so that's number one. If there's anything else you'd like to share that you feel is important for our listeners to know about, that's my number one sort of question. And then finally um not so much a magic wand statement but maybe what would you want our listeners to go away and learn about or do following this podcast that was a lot of questions I'm sorry <laughs> Lara over to you oh okay what would I want the listeners to do I think um similar to what I said before just when someone says EDI, you know, take it seriously. Um, I would want particularly um, people to who aren't from um, minority ethnic or name, excuse the word, um, backgrounds to be um, passionate about the subject because we need more voices um, within the topic area. Um, and like you said, just to critically analyse, you know, the education that is given to them and to challenge what's being taught to them, essentially. And I think that's what's so important about um, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and what it's spurred is that it's empowered students to, you know, ask, quest, ask real questions um, and challenge what it is they're being taught and how they're being taught it. So that's what, that's what I would say. And I would, you know, challenge students to look at their curriculum and, you know, GMC requirements is that we are taught how to um, treat people from um, various diverse ethnic backgrounds. And sometimes we may be in placement or be in medical schools or areas where that may not necessarily be the case. So actively, you know, sometimes having to go out of your way to find those resources to make sure that you become a holistic practitioner, essentially. So taking that step, 
taking that ownership to make sure that that part of your learning is fulfilled is what I would ask our learners to do, our listeners to do. I generally have nothing else to add to that because in my mind, when you ask that question, I just, the word empowered, which I, I know we've spoken about. Yeah. So, so I just feel like um, hopefully your lin- listeners feel empowered uh, to, to sort of um, make the efforts in terms of uh, decolonizing or diversifying the curriculum, challenging their sort of um, teachers or educators as well. So empowering is the word that sort of, um, is a lasting thought for me, for your listeners. That's amazing. Um, on behalf of everyone on the TASME um, Time team um, and our listeners, thank you so much for um, sharing your experiences and your learnings from the your your work with us. It's been a really interesting conversation and I've learned a huge amount um, to take forward in my own practice and I'm sure everyone has. Um, so once again, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So for our first innovation section, we are joined today by Nick Miller. Nick is a medical student at the University of Nottingham and one of the co-authors of So You Want to Decolonise Your Medical School, which is a guide for medical students on how to actively campaign for diversity and equity in their medical schools. Um, I have my copy right here, which you can't see. Um, But the first thing I really want to ask you, Nick, is what led you to undertaking this piece of work? Yeah, so um, I've been working, we worked on it with an organisation called Becoming a Doctor um, as part of their diversity project. And I think one thing for us was kind of looking at um, the kind of, you know, a lot of health inequalities information um, and research kind of came out, particularly um, kind of post the health inequalities that were noticed around COVID-19. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting research, and really interesting ideas and discussions around decolonizing. One thing that we kind of noticed was sort of lacking in part was actually, well, we've got all this information. What can we do about it? Um, so the aim really, it started off actually um, as uh, the idea was that it would be sort of a charter, a sort of best practice kind of document for decolonizing for medical schools. Um, and as it kind of evolved over time, we kind of turned it more into a, a guide um, just to give practical advice and try and compile some of the information from across UK medical schools of what was happening. Because we also found that um, there were some medical schools that were really ahead with the work, doing really, really amazing things, and some medical schools that it wasn't even on their radar so it seemed like a really nice way to kind of collect in one document um, a really big range of what was going on nationally and different ideas in different places um, and as I say take a lot of that really theoretical work around decolonizing and really kind of um, put it into a really practical stance for people. I think it I mean I've I've had a good look at it I, I think it's an incredible piece of work and it's it's so accessible for students and I think that's one of the things that's particularly good about it um, was that in your mind from the beginning when you were trying to set this, that it had to be accessible even for, I guess, people who were novices? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the document aims to um, fit quite a broad group of people. Um, again, a re- another kind of thing um, that I and other colleagues kind of noticed was um, there's some great work going on in decolonising, but a lot of workshops and things that are put on in that arena are often extracurricular. They're not built into the curriculum and they get quite good attendance. But the majority of the time, the attendance to these things are people that are already interested in the field, already doing things in the field, um, already really engaged. And actually, for 
changes like this, really, really big changes to the way we think about medical education, the way we think about teaching and learning, um, it's kind of an all hands on deck situation. So the document tried to take that into account to really account for people that have never heard of decolonizing or maybe heard of it and didn't really know how to get involved, but also to kind of offer some fresh ideas for those that are really experienced. So those who've maybe been doing some decolonizing work in their medical school, um, have had maybe a bit of pushback or struggled to think of ways that they could do things slightly differently and to offer some kind of um, new perspectives, I guess, for the more experienced as well. I think that's just great. And I, I guess I wondered sort of on that note, what for for listeners who maybe haven't come across the guide yet um, and, and want to get involved and find out more, how, how can they find it? How can they access it? What can they do with it? Yeah, so there's uh, different ways to access it. We've re- um, we had some paper copies, uh, we redrafted it, and we've now got a fully published ebook version um, that is available. Uh, the easiest way to get it is to probably go to um, Becoming a Doctor's Twitter. Um, so it's on our main page there. Um, or if you Google, so do you want to decolonize your medical school, um, it usually comes up pretty far up in the searches as well. Uh, it's quite a unique title in that sense, which is quite nice, quite catchy, and, and means that it's is quite high up in the Google searches. Um, so it's available um, on Issue, I-S-S-U. Um, it's published on there and you can download a copy from there. Um, we're hoping in the future to be able to also um, get some paper copies out to medical schools. So hopefully keep your eyes out. It will be in your medical school library soon. That's brilliant. And thanks so much for joining us, Nick, this evening to tell us a little bit more about that. And I'm sure it's something that our listeners will really want to go out and find. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us today. I want to say a very special thank you to our guests, Lara Akinawonu and Dr. Yvonne Mbaki for their personal insights and in-depth knowledge of this subject. We know some of the topics we discussed today may have been challenging or triggering for some listeners. If you are struggling and need support, please contact the relevant bodies within your organisation. Other sources of support include British, the British Medical Association, Occupational Health at your employer or your GP. As always, I'd also like to thank the rest of the TASME Time team, my co-host Dr. Ollie Mercer and post-production lead Dr. Asim Javed and podcast lead Dr. Rob Cullum. I'd also like to thank Dr. Cleone Pardo for all of her support with publicity and to Amlunya who made our theme music. Finally, thanks to everyone on the TASME committee who support with production of this podcast. I've been Dr. Katie Stevenson. You can find out more about TASME, ASME and our many other groups at asme.org.uk and make sure you follow us on Twitter at TASME underscore UK. Join us next time for our episode where we will be discussing disability in medical education. Thank you for listening to TASME Time and we look forward to you joining us again soon. (laughs) 